Colin Peacock joins us now with uh, the latest news and uh, the latest controversies in New Zealand's media. Very good evening, Colin. Kia ora. Kia ora, Mark. It's funny that you're talking about hair loss this week because last time I was on a fortnight ago, I'd had a bit of hair loss myself because my youngest had just given me a short backsides <laughs> and top. And before I came on, you'd just been talking to um, a barber in Geraldine, I think. I can't oh, recall exactly that's where. Right, yes. Gosh. That was a fortnight ago. A lot's happened since. Oh, it's grown. Bit and of regrowth on my part as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So better get the lad onto it again, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not just yet. I'll give it a couple more weeks. Well, Colin, the coronation was certainly the big media event of the of the weekend and possibly the past week. I mean, as it, it doesn't happen very often, does it? Every 70 years or so. Uh, although this next one might be a bit shorter, I suggest. But <clears> any <throat> consensus on how the media performed now that it's all over? Yes, yeah, so forgive me all those who weren't interested in the first place in the coronation or even those who did pay attention when it was happening and considered it was all over and possibly don't want to hear a whole lot more. However, it certainly was a major media event, wasn't it, all over the world and for some of our media who chose to make it so. But for TVNZ, it certainly paid off. I noted in the Media Watch program in the weekend, they put out a full slate of programming all day on the Saturday and quite a few bits and pieces before and after the actual um plonking of the crown on King Charles's head. So uh, they say TVNZ, a cumulative total of about 1.2 million watched coverage of the coronation, uh, but on the actual Saturday night they say the average audience on the Saturday was 362,000, and that's a lot uh, for uh, New Zealand live television, particularly on a weekend night, mm-hmm. but in the UK they say, across all channels I think this is about 20 million uh, was the peak audience, uh, and that's huge in a country of about um, 60 million. So in terms of consensus, uh, people seem to say it was spectacular, went well, uh, pretty much blooper-free as far as I could tell from the bits I saw anyway, apart from the odd hiccup in live coverage, which you'd expect. But an awful lot made of um, the king looking grumpy in his carriage. <laughs> Have you seen that footage? <laughs> when his son was late. I mean, his favoured son, William, was late for the for the affair. <laughs> that was pretty bad, really, wasn't it? So uh, he looked a bit grumpy. He was yeah. chuntering away in the carriage. And then uh, some of the media hired lip readers uh, yes. to have a look at what he was saying. And he appeared to be saying, this is a bit boring and doesn't reflect well on us or something. I I thought, thought, well, I think he said, um, we're always late. We can never do anything on time. <laughs> that's right. And then allegedly, it, this is a bit boring, to which people who thought, <laughs> yes. you know, that was a million quids worth of stuff that he should have been paying for. They thought this was all a bit on the nose. However, look, you know, to me that seems a bit off, doesn't it? Having having a long lens uh, poked at you and lip readers trying to work out what you say in the confines of your carriage. However, he's the king and he's probably used to being in the mm. intense public gaze uh, by now. But uh, one, one uh, bit of media verdict I quite enjoyed um, was from New Plymouth, arch-royalist and royal collector Barbara Larson. Now, last week she was visited by RNZ's Taranaki correspondent Robin Martin at at her home, uh, which was lined with royal stuff she'd been collecting since she was a child. So after the event, uh, Morning Report uh, got her on the phone, and this was her take on the new king last Monday. He's a different guy now, isn't he? And he's older, and he most likely realised everyone has got to get on with their life, whether they like the royals or not, don't they? Yeah, I, I quite like Barbara's common sense take there. She's just saying, look, whether you like the royals or, or Charles himself, you just have to get over yourself because he's going to be the king for some time. She did actually say, Barbara, unprompted, um, I think she said something like she was pleased to see there weren't people performing against him in the streets. I guess she means protesting. But uh, that would have been in part because some 
Republican and anti-monarchy leaders were arrested on the streets of London because of police said the possibility they might disrupt the coronation. Quite a lot of debate in the UK media about whether that was overreach or not. Mm. But in terms of media, just getting back to that, uh, I did have a listen to Talkback Radio on Monday uh, to see if it would come up, of what people uh, made of the media coverage. And... uh, it does strike me that some people uh, who even class themselves as royal devotees are pretty hard to please. As I mentioned, TVNZ would do a lot of effort with background programming and the live coverage, but uh, uh, this caller here wasn't very happy with TVNZ's coverage. This was a, a bloke who rang in to talk to Nick Mills on Wellington's uh, News Talk ZB. Um, Melissa Stokes and Daniel Fotua. Um, look, they, Melissa kept saying... He's getting coronated. I mean, get it right. It was an embarrassment. And then, and then she said, "Oh, this, um, you know, the, the, it's the same ceremony as when Henry the Conqueror got um, crowned in uh, 1066." I mean, she should have been better prepared than that. The text machine this morning, when I first got to work, was saying that there was too many ads on it uh, when there was no ads on the TV3. Now I've had a few texts that have come back and said actually there was no ads on TV1, but I thought that the whole continuity from both channels, to be fair, the actual Johnny on the spot with the microphone walking around and getting a feel and vibe wasn't as good as it could have been. Hmm. Fairly uh, minor gripes, really. Um, of course, a lot of people as well, Colin, would have been watching on some of the other channels. If you have, uh, you know, the, the the BBC TV, BBC UK and various others that did the full BBC coverage, yeah, which, I- which I we did, and we thought that was excellent. Yeah, I think that's where some of the confusion comes up about the ads uh, there, mm. and I possibly didn't help with that on, on Media Watch, actually, because um, I said on Media Watch that three uh, carry uh, ITV coverage from the UK rather than BBC, which was on TV1. Mm. However, uh, three as well um, uh, did indeed broadcast BBC coverage, as they pointed out to me. So sorry about that. That was my mistake. But with the ads, I mean, I'm pretty sure there were ads on both, you know, the free-to-air TVNZ1 and 3, because I switched between them and often caught ads. Yes, but yes. as you say, I think you could also go on TVNZ On Demand and catch from quite early in the evening uh, ad-free uh, BBC stream from yes. the UK as well. And, of course, you yeah, those other channels on the paid platforms, uh, you wouldn't have had to have uh, ad- had ads at all. But there were uh, one or two serious blunders? Were there any clangers dropped uh, in all those hours of coverage? Well, the only one I'm really aware of that was pretty off-key, other than perhaps the grumpy king in his carriage (laughs) being (laughs) long-lensed, was um, this was one from UK's Sky News, which has had a bit of news coverage since then, uh, from their live TV coverage. So it was a panel of three uh, chatting during a break in proceedings. and among them was uh, Australian author and commentator Cathy Lett, and she made a joke about Tuvalu uh, and the threat it faces from uh, rising sea levels. So here's how that came out. He will serve as long as any particular nation wants him to. Yeah, Tuvalu. Was that the one who wanted to stay Tuvalu. the most? Yeah, well, they're, they're about to go underwater. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's hope there's snorkels on. <laughs> Maybe he should speak out, first of all. Mm. Yeah, and I think as Cathy Lett was doing that, she was kind of miming a diving thing, holding a nose whilst doing a kind of royal wave. So uh, Barbara Drever, TVNZ's uh, Pacific correspondent, was not happy at all to see that. She um, actually tweeted at UK Sky News saying, maybe your presenters could offer the people of Tuvalu who suffer from serious drought and continual seawater flooding some tea and scones. Uh, And she later did an online report for TVNZ that pointed out that really had caused genuine offence in Tuvalu and, um, you know, senior politicians there had had commented on it. Did you get any sort of response? 
Not from UK Sky, as far as I'm aware. And, you know, Kathy Lett, interestingly, has her own humour column for The Guardian uh, every Monday. I think she's had that for years. She did uh, her witty column full of um, aphorisms and stuff <laughs> for the Monday, but did not mention that she'd caused this uh, semi-diplomatic incident. Funny yes. that, uh, in her recollection of her experience of, of the coronation. But yes. she did send a statement to the independent newspaper in the UK where she said this... Um, I'm so sorry if, during the live Sky broadcast, in which I was supporting the King's passion for conservation, I made a throwaway comment about Tuvalu sinking that came across as glib uh, or if it came across as uncaring in any way. It was meant as a climate change warning as melting ice is jeopardising so many low-lying countries. So please accept my apologies for clumsy phrasing. The dangers of broadcasting live, exclamation mark. And yes, there are dangers in broadcasting live when you are uh, you know, talking about something that really isn't funny and trying to make a joke of it, particularly well, on a state occasion, I would say. Most of the time, Colin, there are dangers. <laughs> yes, true. Now, on Media Watch last weekend, you pointed out that after the Queen Elizabeth died, many people thought, that could just spark some sort of debate about New Zealand's ties to the Crown. I mean, it has been mentioned, but there's nothing really definite happened, has it? The media hasn't seemed interested in this, apart from a couple of questions to the Prime Minister. Um, he was asked by the BBC about it. Yeah, I found it interesting that um, the BBC asked him. In fact, I was interested that they had him on at all. This was uh, a domestic BBC Sunday politics show hosted by Laura Koonsberg, who's their former uh, political editor. Uh, they just had not only the coronation uh, the day before, but in, I think three days before, on the Thursday, they'd had nationwide local elections right across the UK. The ruling Conservatives got thrashed. So interesting, they found time to uh, 10 minutes or so with, with Chris Hipkins in the chair. But anyway, uh, Laura Koonsberg asked Chris Hipkins for his views on New Zealand remaining part of the monarchy tied to the crown. And here's how Chris Hipkins replied, and this reply made um, a, a bit of a few news stories here on Monday morning. You've been a Republican, I think, all your life. You don't think the monarchy should exist? Well, so, I, 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 it's not that I didn't, don't think the monarchy should exist. I describe myself as a technical Republican. Okay. So if you were going to you know, write a constitution for New Zealand, who would be the head of state? In my, my mind, it would be uh, nice to have someone who is in New Zealand to be uh, head of state. Having said that, we, like the UK, have an unwritten constitution. And as soon as you start making a fundamental decision like having a different head of state, it raises a whole lot of other constitutional questions as well. He certainly chose his words very carefully, didn't he? Um, must have thought about that a bit, calling himself a technical Republican. Yeah, no, I think he anticipated the question very well, but I thought it was interesting. We interviewed um, constitutional law expert uh, Professor Andrew Geddes from Otago University on Media Watch in the weekend, and he said almost exactly those things from the Prime Minister and also made the point that, you know, yes, we had a flag referendum, you know, clearly uh, you know less um, significant than cutting ties with the Crown, but there you had a Prime Minister forcing the issue, putting it on the map, and even then it wasn't successful, he didn't get the outcome he wanted, so yeah, not likely to be much um, action on that. But Laura Koonsberg on that BBC interview did press him quite a bit on that. She, she had follow-up questions to that position of his, um, also asked him directly about pledging allegiance to the king. And he said, well, you know, you, you do that when you 
when you sign on as an MP and you do it as Prime Minister in New Zealand's Parliament, so, you know, uh, no big deal for him. Uh, she also questioned him about um, the impact of colonisation, the Treaty of Waitangi and so on, because there was a, a First Nation uh, and Indigenous Peoples um, uh, letter that was um, that was uh, passed around and signed as part of the pre-coronation process that got a bit of media coverage. She also asked him about the defection of Mekafaitari, which had just happened. Um, but inevitably, perhaps, uh, the interview ended with more than one question on the topic of sausage rolls. <laughs> the sausage roll moment is really cool, actually. Word got round at home, and I get a lot of sausage rolls wherever I go at, at home in New Zealand at the moment, but to be presented them by the King and by the Prime Minister of the UK, uh, that's next level. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to ask this finally. Whose sausage rolls are better? Uh, now, I, mean, I would make a that, strong case for the UK, obviously, but what's your view? Well, I've been asked whether the King's sausage rolls or the Prime Minister's were better, and I'm not going to get into that because I think that would be dangerous territory for me, but... Uh, Oh, look, I, I, it, it depends. You've, you know, there's a lot that goes into a good sausage roll. You've got to get the right mix of meat and pastry. <laughs> God. That, that's a line he's been running ever since the sausage roll thing became attached to him. Well, I think he... the right mix of meat, but there's nothing else in a sausage roll. So clearly, I think that goes without saying that you need the right mix of that to uh, make the, the dish uh, yeah. any, anywhere near a success. But anyway, that, that sausage roll thing, I think, starting to yes. get a bit old here in New Zealand. Yes, I think so. I think you'll be mm. pretty sick of the sight of them soon. <laughs> um, last month, the uh, the Justice Minister, Kitty Allen, of course, apologised for comments she made at the farewell function for her fiancé, uh, Marnie Dunlop, who was host of RNZ's Midday Report. Now, there has been a development this week. Yes, so just to recap a bit. So Kerry Allen spoke at the leaving do of Marnie Dunlop, um, who's left RNZ now. This was last month. Uh, there were about a dozen other people who spoke at that event and probably I don't know, 50 or 60 in the room. Um, throughout the event, the issue of RNZ retaining, nurturing Māori talent was aired um, because uh, Marnie herself had signed off on air earlier saying she was leaving because she'd missed out on, uh, she'd called it the top job, but meaning I think the vacancy at um, Morning Report which is now uh, filled by Ingrid Hipkiss. So the fact that Kitty Allen also uh, made comment at, at this event about this, um, this raised concerns about a cabinet minister, you know, commenting on or, or seeking to influence RNZ. So that's, you know, contrary to the cabinet manual. And I think RNZ's legislation, of course, says no minister can direct RNZ's operation. So when word got out that these things have been discussed in this forum, uh, people got curious at in the rest of the media. So Kitty Allen, after this was reported in the media, or the gist of her comments, said she was sorry over the possible perception that she might be telling RNZ how to manage their staff or company, and she said that was not her intent and certainly not her job. But, you know, the exposure of that prompted some people to request a recording of that event um, or a transcript of it, uh, of the entire event, including uh, the minister's comments uh, and those it would inc- that would include, I suppose, other people at that gathering too. And RNZ has now responded to those um, official Information Act requests. So, how did they respond? What did they? They didn't release it all, did they? No. So, in, in short, RNZ decided to withhold the, you know any full recording it might have or transcripts to protect the privacy of the individuals. They say Kitty Allen herself uh, is included in that, and to protect the tikanga of RNZ and its kaimahi, its staff or workers. So. RNZ basically said the farewell was conducted in accordance with both uh, Tikanga Māori protocols and RNZ's own protocols for how it conducts employees' farewells. They said there was an open floor uh, where people could trust that what they said was for that audience only and that they'd be able to speak openly and frankly. Uh, they said 
Minister Alan's Korero was made as a direct response to that invitation established at the uh, start of the evening and she had made it clear she was speaking as an individual on behalf of Marnie and her whanau. So RNZ said that all the speakers who spoke, uh, the, the dozen or so, in the terms of the Privacy Act, or the way it's worded, would have the strong expectation of privacy in the context of a farewell done in accordance with uh, RNZ uh, tikanga and protocols. So RNZ said, we consider the attendees have privacy interests that warrant protection. Um, but RNZ did then release a partial transcript, a couple of paragraphs of um, Kitty Allen's verbatim comments that did concern RNZ after, I think, consulting her about that. So why were these comments not covered by that... Uh you know, the expectation of privacy. Mm, Well, this is an interesting part. So RNZ says there is a public interest in the comments that were made by the minister about RNZ. Uh, It's a public institution, but they say those comments, part of the reason for releasing them is that they don't affect the privacy of any other person. And RNZ says, this is a quote here, we also note that a degree of disclosure had already been made to the public and the minister and prime minister had commented on the event. So that's a reference to news stories uh, by the New Zealand Herald, for example, and indeed RNZ itself, which reported the gist of Kerry Allen's RNZ comments in the days after that farewell. For example, RNZ News had one that said Kerry Allen took aim at RNZ's treatment of Māori reporters and urged uh, the public broadcaster to have a look at its culture. So I guess they figured that was out on the public record. She is a cabinet minister, so it would be appropriate to release those comments specifically addressing that issue. So what are the, the uh, Kerry Allen comments th- that have been released? Yeah, well, they, um, they were verbatim, so not quite... Uh, written to be read out I suppose but just to paraphrase for clarity uh, she said there's something within the organisation that has to be looked at and the wero or challenge uh, that Marnie left she said it's not uh, just for you Uh, It's for your leadership team uh, to pick up. It's for your boards to pick up. Something within the organisation that will not or has not been able to keep up, uh, to keep, sorry, Māori talent. That is a question I think deserves some deep reflection. So that's the guts of the first paragraph. So this is, of course, actually an ongoing issue. It's been discussed by others in the past, in and out of politics, including the current Broadcasting Minister, Willie Jackson, um, both as Minister. He spoke about it. We asked him about it on on Media Watch a couple of weeks ago, for example, Um, and before uh, he was minister, he was a a critic of RNZ and its track record on uh, employing uh, and uh, nurturing Māori journalists and its uh, contribution to te ao Māori. So RNZ, of course, has a a rotaki Māori, a Māori strategy addressing all this, which is a work in progress. So the other comments Kiri Allen made that RNZ released, uh, she said, we are looking at this organisation and how it treats its talent, so it's to this room, the people within this place to grow and nurture and show they have a viable future within the organisation, that you can get to the top spot, not just because you're Māori, but because you have trained them well, you have nurtured them well. So as I said, that, that came in the context of a whole lot of speeches which were about pioneers of Māori journalism in mainstream and RNZ specifically, all the way back to people like Henere Ta'ua, mm. for example, and it acknowledging you know, the, the contributions Mani Dunlop had made as Māori News Director, mm. uh, as the host of Midday Report, and the contributions she made to sort of RNZ's kaupapa and the understanding of te ao Māori, and that you know, she was being let go and that leaves, or has chosen to leave, uh, and that you know, now leaves RNZ. So that was the tone of the speeches. And did that spark any uh, reaction in the media? Well, of course it does. I mean, with the cabinet minister, you know, that's that was the interest in the story for a lot of people. Mm. Um, we had uh, Stuart Nash uh, having to leave cabinet because of not quite acknowledging his boundaries. So when it's a cabinet minister, there's always going to be interest. So Nationals Broadcasting and Media Spokesperson Melissa Lee 
told The Herald it was very disappointing that RNZ chose to release just those two paragraphs. She said, I think it's fair game. You know, whatever she actually said, I think she overstepped the mark, so she believed it should have been released. Uh, Act leader David Seymour said releasing snippets only uh, makes uh, Alan's speech, in his words, more suspicious. That's how he was quoted uh, by The Herald. And on the air, uh, News Talk ZB's senior political correspondent Barry Soper uh, said that RNZ had acted in a, as a censor in releasing just an excerpt, and he quoted part of it, part of the, the bit I mentioned just a moment ago, and then gave his own interpretation like this. We are looking at these two, so that's the government presumably, and we are looking at this organisation and how it treats its talent. We Ooh, want to know. That's threat. That's a threat. Oh, of course it is, but um, that's what she said. Apparently she said much worse than that, but we're not being told. What does it mean? Well, it means that, uh, you know, be on your guard because we're watching you. And um, the government's going to have a bigger role, of course, because they've shelved out a hell of a lot more money since those comments oh, were made to Radio New Zealand. Yeah, so I think there, Barry Soper is taking those words too literally. He says, we are looking at this as if to mean, you know, we in the government, uh, we're, as he said, we're watching you. I don't think that's it at all. I think the comment was really figurative. As in, you know, what we're seeing here is, or what is happening here, you know, we're looking at this, meaning this is this. So the we is not we, the government. It's really um, we, the, the situation uh, that, that's, that's occurring. So I, I think he's misinterpreted that. Mm. But also when Barry Soper says the government will have a bigger role to play because they've shoveled out more money to RNZ, the government's role does not change when the funding goes up or down, for that matter. RNZ's legislation still forbids any minister from directing RNZ's operations. So when he spoke on air there, Barry Soper, about this being a vague threat, I mean, I was at part of that farewell, not all of it, and hear all of Kerry Allen's comments or those of some of the other people at the at the event. But in terms of you know there being a vague threat, uh, I think that's not uh, the interpretation of, of those comments. I was certainly surprised that a cabinet minister would talk about uh, you know RNZ staff retention you know in any way, specifically given that personal relationship. However, like I say, it was an, an event for Marnie and acknowledging her contribution, and there was a context to the comments. But I don't think any kind of threat from a cabinet minister as has been suggested, whether or not um, as a cabinet minister she should have been saying those things. At all. So, uh, Colin, is that the end of the story, you think? Well, I don't know. Anyone who's not happy with RNZ not releasing anything they have um, has the right to seek an investigation and review by the Ombudsman. Um, so the Herald had requested this, for example, pro- probably other media too, uh, via the Official Information Act, some political commentators and figures had as well. So if they're not satisfied, they may indeed do that. Um, so I guess then the Ombudsman would have to rule uh, on whether RNZ had acted uh, in accordance uh, with the OIA and the Privacy Act. So we'll see if it if it ever gets that far. Well, it's six minutes to 11, and at the end of March today, FM was closed down suddenly by MediaWorks, its owner, amid lots of acrimony and on-air and on-air revolt uh, by the one of the star hosts, uh, it's Duncan Garner, of course. Um, they said, or he said they'd been betrayed by their employer. But now he's doing a new podcast for that employer. Indeed, indeed. In fact, his fellow co-host, uh, Tobar O'Brien, at Today FM said um, they had worse done to them by their employer than betrayal, but that's a word I couldn't say on the, on the radio, but she did on the day anyhow. But yes, Duncan Garner has popped up with this podcast called Editor-in-Chief, uh, produced by his uh, producer on his radio show, Dave Hull, or his former radio show. So he did an interview with Stuff this weekend uh, saying, look, um, he explained that some 
Today FM staff were made redundant, but he never actually left MediaWorks in spite of the sentiments he had on the day. Stuff asked him a fair few awkward questions about that, but actually that first episode of his own podcast dealt with this very issue. It's uh, it's entitled, Why Am I Still at MediaWorks? Mm. And what did he have to say about that? <laughs> well, at a fair length, he talked about the uh, on-air revolt that day that the station closed down and uh, concluded, look, life is not black and white, it is grey. He said sort of slightly cryptically, but he spoke very specifically about how the management had approached him after you know the station ended in those dramatic circumstances uh, with the idea of um, staying on for a podcast. One night, I had to make a decision. Was I going to join the legal action or stay and take up the offer to podcast. I've worked with um, these people in this company for 20 years plus. I knew it wasn't personal, and I love broadcasting. I love hearing from people. I love talking to people. I love interviewing. So along with producer Dave, I stayed on, and we're going to try and replicate our show online. So we're going to try and replicate what we had on today. FM. Not entirely the same, uh, but I'm the same. It's the same me, and this um, podcasting business is exciting. Uh, it's new and it's the future. So I've grabbed this opportunity to to move on and to get on with it. So now this podcast is kind of like his radio show, but sort of online on demand sort of thing. Yeah, well, it, they say in the press release it will be recorded daily as live and have interviews dropped into it um, and regular features and so on. But uh, he really wants to get ordinary people, the people that used to call in and live talk back and have their stories uh aired possibly in a bit more length than a talkback call, but it does sort of lack the energy of having real current events going on or reactions to news of the day, you know, being on air for three hours as he was. So not quite as... Much more sweary, interestingly. He doesn't doesn't shy from uh, dropping a bit of... Um, the sort of language Tover O'Brien aired on the last day of Today FM uh, on the air, which is, which is, I don't mind it, it's kind of fun in a podcast, and he's, he's being himself, which is part of it and part of evidently what they wanted, but he talks an awful lot about the issues. He's um, in a kind of unedited and top-of-the-head sort of way, forming his thoughts as he goes, but he really does want people to get in touch with these personal stories. In fact, I think in one of the press releases he said it'll be about real people, not spokespeople. Um, so that's what he wants. In episode two, he demanded uh, with some vigour the outlawing of vapes uh, and then went into a, um, a long interview with Sir Graham Lowe about his um, near-death experiences, I think, after a, a heart attack and so on. But yeah, I think he wants to get away from that and have, like as he said, more less personalities, more real people telling these tales. So is it likely that uh, you think more of these uh, Today FM hosts uh, will follow Duncan Garner and end up with a podcast as well? Well, the, the Herald's editor-at-large, um, Shane Carey, uh, in his media column called Media Insider, he said he reckoned three of their high-profile hosts, uh, and he named Duncan Garner, Polly Gillespie, and Lloyd Burr, former um, political uh, reporter turned afternoon host at Today FM, were all uh, possible podcast hosts, or probable. Um, and in the statement announcing Garner's podcast, uh, Wendy Palmer, the interim CEO of MediaWorks, said, we want to expand our reach by meeting audiences where they are. Uh, we've got some fantastic new content coming up in, uh, in the uh, coming months, including this unique offering from Duncan. And they want more podcasts. They say New Zealanders are desperate for them. So, yeah, I guess it's a, it's a watch the space uh, issue. But as one critic said, if not enough people listening on the air to keep the station going, will the podcast really cut through? So I guess we'll have to see. So we've got about a minute and a half to go. Um, and what is, what's replaced today, FM, on the radio dial? 
Yeah, that's interesting. MediaWorks has launched a new channel called Channel X on the frequencies previously occupied by Today FM. They are promising 24-7 anthems Gen X grew up with uh, and trends show Gen Z are falling in love with. Uh, it's, they say, it's like we've borrowed your CD wallet from when you were a teen. Hmm. Uh, expect Radiohead, No Doubt, Arctic Monkeys, Fatboy Slim, Supergroove and beyond. Now, um, it's weird. They, they actually kicked off at midday uh, on their launch day with The Killers, When You Were Young. Is the track so clearly targeting people who uh, want to hark back to when they were younger? Uh, but possibly those Gen Zers they think are going to fall in for this um, twenty-year-old music. I don't know, but it's ironic because MediaWorks had an alternative music station at the time of that music in the nineteen nineties and two thousands called Channel Z or Channel Z. <laughs> so now they want to call it Gen X, uh, Channel X. So yeah. I, I, it's an irony. Well, it sounds a bit like uh, Hauraki without DJs, really. It's just music, presumably. Yeah, yeah. well, I thought so, because um, I don't know how many Gen Z listeners, in, um, NZME, their rivals, uh, actually get with Hauraki and their kind of playlist uh, and some music of that vintage. But I, I just would love to see this research that shows Gen Zers really want music yeah. of, of that age. And also, if you're playing the ads and there's alternative that don't play ads like playlists and streaming services, it might be hard to bring them in.